0: Any of you ever been in an earthquake? Doesn't have to have been a big one. Have you ever been in an earthquake? Okay. Um, maybe if not an earthquake, we've seen a violent storm. There's pretty good rain blew through last night, right? At least for us and maybe if not an earthquake or a storm, this probably is less likely for all of us, some sort of threat, uh, invasion by another nation, or at the very least some kind of a rumor of war. Uh, That was something that I think was probably more common uh, in the 70s, 80s, and so on with the threat of the possibility of nuclear war, sort of the cold war with Russia, all those sorts of things that were going on. But threats from outside our nation. Now obviously the the passage that we're looking at is in a different context. Israel's experience doesn't line up exactly with our own, but there are parallels that I think are helpful for us to consider. And in this context, there is a call to Marvel at God's work among His people, particularly the fact that He is a refuge, that He is a strength for His people. We see that in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. We see that in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And we see that in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And so there's this Repeated idea that God is a refuge for his people. When it says God is our refuge and God is our strength, um, it parallels other phrases in Scripture where it might describe God as a rock. It's not saying God is actually a rock. It's saying that God is a place of security, that God defends and watches over his people. When it says he's a very present help in trouble, it means that he's near. He's ready to help those people. And that statement, that truth, is the underlying basis for what he says in verse 2. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There are parts of this chapter that I think look back and parts that look to the present and parts that look to the future. So when he talks about the fact of the mountains slipping into the heart of the sea, I think he has in mind the flood of Noah. Now obviously we know that God promised that that would not take place again. And the rainbow is the symbol that he sets in the clouds after rain to remind us of that promise that he will not flood the whole earth again. But the psalmist is saying, even if such an event were before us, a great flood, the falling of what seems to be secure, mountains, God is our refuge, God is with us, God will watch over us. And sometimes when we look at something vast and powerful like the ocean, uh, we get careless in the way that we think about it. We hear people when they're talking about the weather saying, "You know, Mother Nature is having a bad day. Watch out!" You know those sorts of things. It's not Mother Nature that rules the ocean. It's not the ocean that rules itself. It is God who commands the ocean. Think about um, when the disciples were on the boat, like we sang about in our second song. Who was the master of that small sea? Jesus was, clearly, through God's power. And so, if there is a threat of destruction by the power of water, by forces of nature, the psalmist can say, God is our refuge. But then it's interesting because he takes that same sort of imagery of of water and he turns it in a positive direction, verse 4 there is a river whose streams make glad the city of god the holy dwelling places of the most high i say this looks back into the present and forward from the perspective that we just looked in the book of genesis at the fact that there were streams flowing around and through the garden of eden right and there are parallels that i think are being made Between that picture of God's provision and bountiful care, and the place where God was currently working in and through His people at the time this psalm was written, which was the city of Jerusalem, which also had streams of water nearby. Think of David, who says, only if I could have a a drink of the springs of water. And they they break into the city, and they they bring back a, a pitcher, a container of water, and and then he wouldn't drink it because they had risked their lives uh, simply to honor their king Jerusalem both figuratively and actually speaking had this idea of a river creation Garden of Eden city of Jerusalem what do we see at the end in the book of Revelation the river that flows through the city of Jerusalem and again it is for it says makes glad the city of God it says the holy dwelling places of the most high when it says the dwelling places of the most high God does not need a city in which to live God does not need a temple in which to be worshiped and yet he showed favor to the people of Israel by making his presence known in the city where they lived of Jerusalem saying this is my city and by demonstrating his presence in the temple that they built for him there this is my temple And that brings us to verse 5 God is in the midst of her so not only is God a refuge like God's like this and we're in the middle what it says in verse 5 God is in the midst of her among them they will not be moved It reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians 5 or in the book of Ephesians and in other places as well sometimes he talks about the fact that individual Christians are like building blocks that make up a building that is being built as a testimony to God's work and that God dwells in them individually. And then in other places, he said, and God also dwells among them collectively. I think that a similar sort of picture is being painted here. God was around and among and with the people of Israel. And that was the basis of their security. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Verse 6, the nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. This reminds me of Psalm 2. What does it say in Psalm 2 about the nations that oppose God? What's God's response? He laughs. Why? Because it's foolish. I went out to my shed today to get something, and there was a whole swarm of ants got agitated and tried to swarm up my legs when I was trying to. So I was irritated by that. That, in a much greater way, is the contrast between God's power and the power of the nations that would oppose him. An ant can cause us difficulty, right? You ever stepped in a hill of fire ants down south? It's not a fun thing. Uh, But it's not something, unless you have an allergic reaction, that's going to cause you any serious long-term harm, right? In an even greater sense, God's not even annoyed by the plots and the schemes of the nations that are opposing him, or in this case, his people. It says he raised his voice, the earth melted. Think about when you've raised your voice. What happens? Ideally, your kids start doing what you've asked them to do. But it's not as though the walls of your house suddenly disintegrate and fall to bits because of the power of your voice. It describes God's power as something that He raises His voice, He calls out, He speaks, and the earth melts. Think about what it says in uh, Peter's writings where he says that the elements will melt with fervent heat who's going to cause that to happen just as God speaks it into existence in the book of Genesis God can speak it into <laughs> destruction or, or re-creation or however you want to phrase that in what Peter describes so we see in this as well the power of God and then verse 7 Just like in verse 1, the Lord of Hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Two things about that verse. The Lord of Hosts is a description that's used of God to remind His people that He is not just God by Himself, though that would certainly be enough, but that He is God who rules over hosts. Thousands upon thousands of angels He could call to do whatever He wants. Not that He needs those angels, But it's not as though it's just God and us. It's God who commands, uh, as Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges in Daniel 4, he does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among men, and who can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? Nebuchadnezzar, greatest ruler of the greatest empire at that time, in his pride he rejected God, and God made him to crawl on all fours like an animal for seven years until he humbled himself and worshipped the God who made him god is the lord of hosts but he's not just up there powerful ruler commander of armies it's the god of jacob think about who jacob was jacob was kind of a scoundrel right lied to his brother stole his birthright ran away so he wouldn't get hurt uh seems like he continued his deceitful practices working for his father-in-law was deceived himself but through all those things god is transforming him God is transforming him to be the father of the nation of Israel, and God has a personal relationship with someone who does not deserve it. Then I'd be uh, I'd be not doing justice to what we see in the rest of the Bible if I didn't pause here and say, God being the God of Jacob is significant for us because we're all like Jacob. Whether we want to admit it or not, we're all sinners. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we say things in anger, we do things, we fail to do the things that God has called us to do, to worship Him instead of ourselves or whatever else. We do wrong and we don't do right, and like Jacob, we need someone to come and to transform our lives. And the way that God does that is, through the message of the Gospel which is I'm a sinner I can't work my way to God but God made a way for me to reach him through Jesus his own son fully God and fully man and the way of reaching God through Jesus that one way is this Jesus said you have to believe in me he basically said it like this if you believe in me God loved the world in this way, that whoever believes in the Son would have eternal life and would not perish. But then at the end of the chapter, and that's the part we sometimes forget, the one who does not believe in the Son does not have life, but God's wrath abides on him. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, is the God of Jacob your God through the work of Jesus, not through your own efforts? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Because even though this psalm was written for the people of Israel, the same God who was with them is the same God who is with his people today in the church. But we're not a part of that if we're not believing in Jesus. And then, verse 8 is where I take the title of the that I put in your prayer sheet Come Behold the Works of the Lord. So up until this point, it's just been things that have been stated. God did this, God did this, and now verse 8, there's this call. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth, or the desolations He has wrought in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God." I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Just like God rules over the forces of nature, just like Jesus could speak when the sea was raging and the disciples were sure they were going to drown and say, Be still. We are called to see God's works. And God says in verse 10, Cease and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. There is nothing that is not under God's power. Whether it be earthquakes, whether it be storms, whether it be mighty armies fighting against one another. A poor picture of this would be if uh if you see two toddlers fighting over something and their parents come in and break it up. How much ability do they have to prov- to keep fighting? They don't have any ability because they are not strong enough to keep doing that. And in a much greater sense, God comes and says to the nations, you're done. War is over. I have won. Christ reigns. There's no more time for any of these things. And so this is a Section where it clearly looks to the future. Why do I say that? Because there wasn't a time in Israel's history where they really had peace for very long. Briefly under the reign of Solomon, ever since then, wars and fightings and captivity and all of those sorts of things. And even in our own experience, which admittedly is not directly connected to Israel's, but just by way of illustration, it you can turn on the TV look online be aware with any amount of awareness somebody's fighting over something somewhere in the world today but there's coming a day when that will stop because Jesus is going to come to rule and to reign and put an end to all those things and so when we step back here and we look at the whole of this passage which wraps up with that same phrase the lord of hosts is with us the god of jacob is our stronghold i think what we're supposed to take away from this passage is not i'm so amazing because god is my refuge but rather step back and be amazed at who god is and how he works on behalf of his people who like jacob don't deserve his help and considering that God is the the Lord of hosts, are not strong enough to command His help, but He graciously gives it to His people Israel. And by extension and application, and by what we see in the rest of the Bible, He is a refuge for His people today as well. And so when we read a passage like this, sometimes we, we look at it and we're like, wow, this is so amazing. God's got my back. But it should be, I don't deserve any of this, but God is watching over me if I'm trusting in Him as one of His people. Marvel, be in awe, praise the God who is a refuge for His people. Let's pray. Lord, your people, Israel, many times disobeyed you, failed to trust you, did not follow what you asked them to do, and you were gracious and patient and cared for them even so. Lord, in the same way, we do not deserve and cannot command your strength to watch over us, and yet if we humbly acknowledge we don't deserve it, but we ask you humbly for it. You can and you will watch over us. Maybe the threats that come into our lives are not the the very tangible and physical threats that face the people of Israel. Flood and uh, wars, earthquakes, all of these sorts of things. Maybe the things that overwhelm us in our lives are harder to put our fingers on harder to describe in words but whether the threats that we face are the same as the people of Israel or whether they are other things you provided for them you watched over them You can provide for us. You can watch over us. Lord, help us to pause and marvel at who you are, at what you have done in the past, at what you will do in the future, and at our opportunity to participate in it uh, even today. I pray that everyone here tonight would be trusting in you in the way that this passage describes, trusting in you through the work of Jesus, whom the Israelites were looking for but had not yet come, whom we look back to and has come and will come again to rule and to reign. Lord, we pray that we would be trusting in Him now and ready for His return. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.